Ian for reading. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to um, guests and regulars and new people, and uh, so great to have you. My name is Dan Bidwell, Senior Minister here. Uh, huge pleasure to have you in church today. Um, good. In the holidays, we get the kids in church too, so we're going to start with a little question for some of the kids, and uh, it's for those who are good at maths or would like to be a little bit better at maths, and uh, don't be terrified because... I can only answer some of these questions. So um, here we go, kids. Question is, if a girl has three pizzas, let's put some math pictures up on the board. If a girl has three pizzas and she gets one more pizza, how many pizzas does she have? How many? Yep, Saxon, like four? Four. These are not Saxon. Zach, sorry, man. Um, I was like, is that? Is that? Um, they would have four pizzas, which is a lot of pizza, isn't it? Uh, next question, a little bit harder. Um, and by the way, grown-ups, there's a yo-yo craze going on at the moment. If a boy had five yo-yos and he got five more yo-yos, how many yo-yos would he have? Ten. Imagine that, one on each finger. Could you, could you imagine that? That would be so cool. Um, then you could go on tour of all the schools like one of those yo-yo professionals, an international all-star. Uh, one more. This is a question for grown-ups. If a grown-up had 100 apples and they gave away 10 apples, how many apples would they have? They'd have nine. That's still a lot of apples, isn't it? All right, the hardest question ever, if you had six oranges and six melons in your left hand, and then you had 24 apples and eight watermelons in your other hand, how many things would you have? You would have big hands, wouldn't you? <laughs> 20, 20, was that 24 watermelons? No, eight watermelons. Um, there you go. Uh, all right, one more slightly more serious math question. If a widow gave her last coins to church, how many would she have left? She wouldn't have any. Um, that last maths problem is actually from the Bible. Uh, once upon a time, Jesus was watching as people put their money in the offertory box in the temple. And uh, a very poor lady, a widow, she put in just two copper coins. It was only worth a few cents. But Jesus said that her offering of the two coins, it was worth a lot more than the dollar value. Listen to what he says to the disciples. He says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. She put in everything. And I think that's a profound statement about the Christian faith, isn't it? When we follow Jesus, we can put everything in because we trust that Jesus will look after us. Uh, and it's a principle that sets us on the path of generosity. And so why don't we uh, pray as we open the Bible that God would give us the same faith that this widow had. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to open our minds to you this morning, uh, open our lives to you, and open the secret places of our hearts to you. Uh, we long to obey you in all things. Will you teach us today to trust you with our finances and our material possessions so that we can use them for your kingdom and for your glory? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, as Rod said, we're in week two of our little uh, mini-series called The Generous Life, uh, all about learning to give every part of ourselves in service to the Lord, especially the material wealth that God has blessed us with. Um, I said this last week, I'm going to say it again today, if you're a visitor with us, so great to have you. Um, hope you find the sermon engaging. Um, I wrote enriching, but it seems like a bit of a pun. Um, 
we don't speak about money in church all that often, so don't feel like this is directed at you. Um, and actually, as churches, we don't talk about money very much. Like Jesus probably talks about it a lot more than I do. Um, if you're a regular, I do pray that this series helps us open up a conversation um, and also prayerful consideration of the way that we invest our resources. Um, um, we began last week thinking about contentment. What does it mean to find contentment and how does that play into generosity? This week, we're thinking about why we give. And next week, we'll be thinking more mechanically about how. Um, but come to the question of why do we give as part of the generous life? Well, the Bible says a couple of things. Uh, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 because Paul points to two churches about, uh, when he thinks about the reasons of why we can be generous. Come to 2 Corinthians 8 with me, verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. So these two Macedonian churches that Paul's talking about, it's the Philippians and the Thessalonians, and, and Paul wrote letters to them. Actually, we're going to be looking at his letter to the Philippians next term. But in this letter we're reading, this is Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. Um, he points them to the example of the Philippians and the Thessalonians when it comes to their giving. And, and I think Paul points to them because they're the least likely people you would expect to give. Uh, and I'll tell you why in a second. See, because when I think of people who I imagine would be generous, I tend to think of... Um, uh, those who are very wealthy. Uh, so last week I talked about Warren Buffett, a billionaire and philanthropist, businessman. Um, I think his current net worth is $117 billion. Um, uh, anyway, 2006, Warren Buffett pledged to give away 99% of his wealth before he dies, to give it to philanthropic foundations. And um, to date, he's given away uh, more than 20% of his net worth. It gives away 4% every year. Um, although I do think if you do the math, if he's probably earning 15 to 20% of his investments, he's still going forward. But the point is this, he's decided to give away everything. Uh, uh, everything except for 1%, that is. Uh, Bill and Melinda Gates, they've done the same thing. They gave $5 billion last year to their um, uh, charitable foundation. Uh, but it's interesting, uh, Warren Buffett says on his um, webpage for his foundation, uh, he says, giving away 99% of my fortune... It won't make any difference to my lifestyle or the lifestyle of my family. Um, he'll still be richer than any of us can imagine because 1% of 117 billion, what is that? Still more than a billion dollars, right? He'll still be a billionaire. It was very different for the churches in uh, Philippi and Thessalonica. They weren't billionaires at all. In fact, it was the opposite in verse 2. It tells us that they were extremely poor. And uh, they've been through severe trials, uh, opposition and religious persecution and suffering for the gospel. And, and these are Christians who are only brand new. Uh, these churches had only been planted a couple of years earlier. Uh, all of the people in these churches, they'd come from other backgrounds, not following Jesus. And now they're new converts. They haven't been taught to tithe from Sunday school or to give, you know, a coin. It's all new to them. And... Uh, and, and I was thinking about them, and I think, you know, if anything, in the face of all this poverty and trial, they might say, Jesus, it's not worth following you, I'm going to give up. They might shrink back or lay low or, or, or even give up on Jesus, but that's the exact opposite of what they do. Instead, Paul says, 
in spite of their trials, in spite of their extreme poverty, they were so overflowing with joy that they ended up overflowing with generosity. Um, the, the two words in the original language literally the same, overflowing with joy, overflowing with generosity. And it wasn't because Paul coerced them or anybody else coerced them. Look at the next verse in verse 3. Paul writes, For I testify that they gave us, uh, they gave as much as they were able and, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So these Macedonians, they were so poor that Paul didn't expect them to give anything. Uh, but instead, they found themselves begging him. They begged for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Um, by the way, I think that verse gives us a clue what they were giving to. Um, this was not a gift to provide for Paul and his ministry, although in Philippians 4, we read the Philippian church actually did look after Paul. Um, no, this is a gift that was a collection for the poor amongst the Lord's people in Jerusalem. And we read about that in a whole bunch of places, Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 16, Galatians 2 and Acts 24. Put it this way, that the church, the Christians in Philippi and Thessalonica, they'd, they'd heard about the poverty of the Christians in Jerusalem and they wanted to help. They heard about these brothers and sisters they'd never met and they wanted the privilege of sharing with them. Um, they probably weren't much better off than the church in Jerusalem and yet they said, we're going to share with what little that we have. And I wonder if that's actually why they were so keen to help, um, because they understood what it was like to be desperately poor. Um, I personally don't know what that's like, so I don't know what it's like to wonder where your next meal's coming from. Don't know what it's like to wonder if you'll have a roof over your head tonight. I've never had to make that decision between paying the rent or choosing medical help for my children. Uh, back in America, that was a, a regular choice that people had to make. But I know many people face these obstacles every day and, and you might be facing them today. Some of those people are Christians. It happens to them too. And so what is the Christian response to that kind of suffering? Well, surely the answer from 2 Corinthians is generosity. It's empathy that leads to sharing. And have a look at what they, they shared in verse 5. They gave themselves. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So they gave themselves to the Lord, just like the, the, the widow who put all of her coins in. She put in everything. They gave themselves to the Lord, and that meant giving themselves to their brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and they didn't hold back anything. They exceeded even what Paul expected them to do. This poorest of churches became the emblem for generosity. And so that's our first principle of generosity. Giving yourself to the Lord means putting everything in, not just your spare change, and not just the kind of gift that you'll never notice is missing, which I think is, you know, Buffett's issue. The principle here is that following Jesus is costly, and it's giving your best and giving your first, and not just giving from your little, sorry, giving from your little and not just from your abundance. And this principle, it doesn't just apply to the offertory basket at church. I think this is about your whole life given to Jesus, like a living sacrifice. That was the verse we read on my very first Sunday here, Jesus wants us to give our whole lives as a living sacrifice to Him. He doesn't just want us on Sundays for an hour. He actually wants us every day and in every decision. And that means giving ourselves to Him 
as we give ourselves to others and to the interests of others. I reckon this is a really big commitment. You know, like if there was any obstacle to Christianity, this is it. Jesus actually wants all of you. I've just signed up for summer soccer. Like it was an easy commitment, right? Eight, eight weeks, I say it's easy. I, there's two 20-minute halves. I'm a little bit worried about my fitness. I'm probably good for the first 20 seconds. 20 minutes, we'll see. Um, and if I die, Graham, you can come back. And um, <laughs> that was a silly thing to say. Graham's got a wonderful job. Um, <laughs> following Jesus is a different commitment than committing to like summer soccer. This is a decision that's going to reshape your future and it's going to reshape your family and your finances and, and your priorities and not just for today but forever, for the rest of your life and even into eternity. That sounds scary but it wasn't scary for the Philippians and the Thessalonians. Actually for them it was pure joy. It was joy that overflowed because they understood the grace of God. And that leads us to our second principle of generosity. We give uh, because of God's grace to us. Uh, now, when I was preparing the sermon, um, this is kind of the beginnings of how my sermon works. Um, I took my highlighter and I highlighted every time I saw the word grace in our passage. Um, and you can see there's four of them. I drew a line between them. Um, but actually, there's a sneaky other one there in verse 4. That word privilege is the same word for grace in the original language. Um, so this theme of grace runs all the way through our passage today. God's grace leads us to be generous. It leads us to the grace of giving. That phrase is repeated a couple of times as well. Grace begets grace, as I wrote in my notes so what exactly is this grace that motivates us? Well, well there's all sorts of definitions of God's grace. There's God's, um, God's undeserved favor towards sinners. Uh, it's God's uh, unmerited goodness shown when Jesus dies on the cross so that we can be forgiven of our sins. Some people remember it using that acrostic, you know, with the letters G, R, A, C, and E. Does anybody know this one I'm going to say? God's riches at Christ's expense. Well, I think that's our meaning in, in verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. This is God's riches at Christ's expense. See, God's grace is shown when Jesus gives up his heavenly home and, he, and his place at God's side, and he becomes a human, and he lives alongside us in all of our brokenness and sinfulness. Um, it would be like King Charles moving down to Robertson and working at the gas station, the petrol station, service station. Um, <laughs> my Canadians, maybe you love that. They're like, I know what the gas station. Sorry? Yeah, there, yeah, the, the Americans, they got me. Didn't take too long. Um, you can imagine royalty coming and living amongst us, amongst the commoners, but, but that's exactly what Jesus does. He becomes poor or, or he became poor for our sake. Um, I mean, I guess materially poor, but also spiritually poor. He leaves his father's side and, and he does that so that through his poverty, we can become restored into God's family and brought back into God's presence and, and adopted as his children and brought into the royal family and forgiven and, and all of that blessing. See, Jesus literally puts in everything. He gives his life for ours. He lays himself down on the cross. He holds nothing back as he gives everything to us so that we can become rich spiritually. And that is God's grace. And that grace redefines what we think of 
as riches. It redefines the idea of riches for us. For Christians, being rich doesn't mean having lots of money. Being rich means understanding our new spiritual status as sons and daughters of the King. God has already poured out riches upon us, grace upon grace and blessing upon blessing. At the eight o'clock service, I read Ephesians chapter one where it says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Blessing after blessing uh, may not mean material blessings in this lifetime. And that might be true for you. But it was the same for Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus didn't live a a life of wealth and and extravagance. He had no place to lay his head. But it didn't matter to Jesus because his treasure wasn't on this earth. His treasure was in heaven. And he teaches us to put our treasure in heaven as well. And that brings us to our third principle, which is uh, we give to what we love. We give to what we love. Uh, We spend, what we spend our money on shows what it is that we truly love. Um, So I want you to do a little thought experiment with me. Go through mentally, scroll through your uh, credit card bill for the last month or maybe your bank statement and and think, what did you spend your money on? What did you spend your money on? Perhaps it was groceries. Perhaps it was petrol. Uh, You're spending a lot on that at the moment. Um, Other bills, uh, maybe rent or mortgage. Uh, Dinners out, coffees, I'm not sure. What else you spend it on? Gifts, maybe it was somebody's birthday. Now, I want you to ask yourself, what does your credit card statement say about your priorities? What does it say about what you love? Uh, My bill says that I'm in love with Cole's supermarket, um, or or at least feeding my family. Um, uh, It says I love driving my car and filling it up with gas, uh, and possibly it says I love buying tools. Um, But what does it say about my love for Jesus and my love for God's people? Um, what does your bank account say about what you love? Uh, by the way, you can do the same audit with the way that you spend your time each day. Uh, what does your daily schedule say about your priorities and what you love? What does it say about your love for Jesus and your love for the Lord? Now, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you at all, uh, but it's an interesting thought experiment, isn't it? Because we pour our life's effort into the things that we love. And often that means pouring ourselves into work as we look after the family that we love. That's a really good thing to do. But what about the margins of your life? What about the discretionary time? And what about the discretionary income? Paul asks the Corinthian Christians what they prioritize and what it shows about their love. Have a look at verse 7 with me. He says this to the Corinthian church. He says, but since you excel in everything in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in complete earnestness and in the love that we've kindled in you, he says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So Paul, he says that the Corinthians are excellent They're excellent Christians. They they excel in faith and speech and knowledge and their earnest pursuit of Jesus. And they even excel in love. And yet somehow they were not excelling in the same way when it came to the grace of giving. Um, Actually, a bit later he says, you began well last year, but you've let it drop. It's falling behind. And Paul says he's not commanding them to give, but he does say that our giving tests the sincerity of our love. We spend our money on what we love. And so does our spending say that we love the Lord Jesus? And and do we desire to see his kingdom growing? Does our spending say that we love our neighbors as ourselves? 
Does our spending say that we have compassion on those who are less fortunate? Or does our spending say that we love comfort and accumulating wealth stored up in bigger and bigger barns so that we can say to ourselves, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat and drink and be merry. And Jesus says we need to be on guard against all kinds of greed. It's so easy to store up things for ourselves and not to be rich towards God. Church, I think you are excellent Christians. I've only met you in the last four or five months, but I think you guys are great. I think you excel in so many areas. Do you excel in the grace of giving? Are you giving to what you truly love? Um, and I've had to ask myself the same question. Um, this year, we've moved from the US back to Australia. I've moved from one job to another job. My wife was in one job. She's in another one now. Um, things have been in flux. But as we settle, we need to do that audit on our spending and, and that audit where we work out where our priorities lie and what are we going to give our money to and our time and our, our energy to? How will our spending and our giving show what we love? How can we give to what we think is important and how can we lead our two adult children into learning a healthy pattern of sacrificial giving? It's a conversation we've been having at our house in the last little while. Um, what about you? Perhaps you've never thought about this aspect of discipleship. Maybe this week is a good week to start the conversation. Um, if you've been a Christian for a long time, if you've been in the habit of um, giving, praise God, that's amazing. Um, when did you last do an audit and think, is there anything I need to adjust? Um, have things changed so that you could maybe give a little bit more? Or maybe have things changed so that actually you need to stop giving in some area? Um, it was fun. In one of the churches I worked at, uh, we used to pass the offertory bag. We don't do that at 10 o'clock. We do it in the morning service. But as they um, would pass the bag, the senior minister, he would say, um, you know, put something in. But he'd say, if you've had a bad week, just take something back out. It's fine. That's what we're here for. Um, <laughs> And it's true, is it not? Is the church not a place where you should be able to take something back if you need it? Um, I think that brings us to our fourth principle of generosity, that it's all about sharing. Uh, we give because nobody should be without. Um, you know, as parents, we teach our kids to share. Um, you know, share the toys with your sister. Share, share, your, share the couch with your brother. Share. We teach our kids. What happens to our sharing when we grow up? You know, often we grow up and we get a job and we earn a salary and we think, well, that's mine, I earned it. Is it not? It belongs to me. And we buy a house and we buy it for our family. So, well, it belongs to us. I earned it, I deserve it. That sharing instinct we're taught as children is nurtured in us. It somehow disappears when we grow up at times, doesn't it? Our inclination, I think, naturally is to be selfish. It's mine, mine, mine. Like three-year-olds <laughs> clutching onto that toy. I'm not sharing it at all. But that's not how Jesus teaches us to live, is it? Jesus actually teaches us to take the cloak off our back to give to somebody who asks for it. He teaches us to give a cup of cold water to those who are in need. He, he cared for the blind and he cared for the lame and the invalids and, and for the widow and the orphan. Jesus doesn't say it's mine, mine, mine. He actually says, everything I have is yours. When the disciples came to Jesus as a, a crowd of 5,000 and they're hungry, what does Jesus say to the disciples? He says, you give them something to eat it's a hard question how do we do that they ask and so actually in um in mark's gospel they say what are we meant to do that would cost more than half a year's wages are we, are we meant to go and spend all that money so we can feed the people 
think they're worried about the cost because it seemed like an amount that was too much for them to afford on their own. How did Jesus solve the problem? The answer was sharing. The answer was sharing. A small boy offered his lunch. He offered to share his lunch. A few loaves and some fishes. And then everybody had enough to eat because Jesus can do a lot with a little. And and I think that's the principle at the end of our reading here. Paul wants everybody to share a little bit and then everybody will have enough. Have Have a look at verse 13. It says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it's written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So Paul takes his audience back to the time when the Israelites were wandering in the desert, the reading we had before. They were there for 40 years, and every day God fed his people with manna, literally bread that fell down from heaven. God supplies our daily bread. God supplies our daily bread, and we can trust God to look after us. And that means we can share some of what we've gathered, and we'll still have enough. We can share some of what we gathered, and, and it'll still have enough. The goal, Paul says twice, is equality. Uh, and he's not talking about Christian communism here. I think he's saying, if we all contribute something, if we all share, then there'll be enough. If we all share, then there'll be enough. Um, there's a little statistic that boggles the mind. Um, do you know this one? That the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world own 85% of the world's wealth. Did you know that? What does it take to be in the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world? A net worth of US $138,000. That's all. 215000 Aussie. Uh, and I can't do the conversion for Canada because I don't know. Um, Canadian dollars, I don't know, 150. Uh, it doesn't take much to be in the top 10% wealthiest people in the world. Um, if you own any slice of Australia, you are probably in the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. And so how are we using our wealth to look after the other 90%? See, Paul isn't talking about the kind of giving that will leave us hard-pressed, um, although maybe we should press a little bit harder. Um, I'm going to tell you a story next week about John Wesley and how he didn't let his spending change even as his salary grew. I'm going to save that story for next week. It's not about leaving us hard-pressed, but maybe we should press a little bit harder. Maybe we could give a little bit more. Maybe we could find a little bit extra. Because at the present time, our plenty can supply what they need. And you never know, one day, perhaps we'll be the ones in need of a little help. Hope we can be the kind of generous church that supplies the needs of others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are generous to us. You have blessed us in so many ways. You've made us rich. Help us not to take that for granted. Help us not to be selfish. Help us to find our treasure in heaven. Help us to remember that we've been blessed in every way and made your children promised an eternity in heaven with you. Help us not to hold on to our material goods, Father, but help us to share them for the sake of all those who are in need. Uh, We pray that you would make us generous. Search our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.